And there came a day, a day unlike... Wait, no, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks and... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 221 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How you doing this week, Brian? I'm alright. It was it was really busy, but productive, so, you know, it's hard to complain about that, I guess. I don't think it was either of those things for me this week. Okay. Um, I was asked to set up a project management document for some stuff going on at work this week. Mm-hmm. The second item on the list was... For someone to review and let me know if there was anything missing or anything that they wanted flushed out further. Uh, the due date for that item was Monday. And still uh, hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. I gotta ask. I gotta ask about three projects that I haven't done anything on in a month, and then they were like, "So, uh, you know, what's the deal? Why haven't we?" And I was like, "Well, let's look at the last email for each of these. Oh, all three of them were things that I sent to other people and say, you need to let me know if this is okay before we can proceed. Yeah, and I don't... I mean, this is going to be the cold open now. I don't get the the <laughs> follow-up response that comes with that. The, well, why didn't you email them over and over nagging for it? Like, because it's their job to do it. Yeah, because I'm not their f***ing mom. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Um... It's just astounding to me how much of the business world is actually children. Three children in trench coats are most business people. <laughs> it's true. You're not, hey, I will not argue with you. Actually, if it were children, they'd be better with computers than most of them are. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I also had a vendor at work call this week. Trying to convince me that right now, you know, in the middle of a pandemic with some office staff either out because they're being quarantined because they went on spring break or in surgery because they have other health things going on Uh or at home with kids because their kids are not in daycare right now. Right. Uh, that would be the perfect time to upgrade our entire ERP system that handles all our accounting and manufacturing. <laughs> no. Um, fortunately, I, I worked briefly for this vendor, actually, so I had no problem saying, yeah, this is, uh, this is one of those times where the owner gets an idea in his head, isn't it? The person on the other end of the phone who was new was like, yes. I think this is one of those times. This tells me that this happens with some frequency. I'm like, yes, because three children in a trench coat. <laughs> yeah. Three children in a trench coat. My week this week has been reading comics, rewatching Psych, and Fringe. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like, depending on the mood, I found that this is how I get through quarantine TV watching. I pick two similar shows, one that is a little lighter. And one that is a little more serious. And I ask myself, do I want the funnier version or do I want the more dramatic version? 
and I kind of watch in chunks of each as I go, and it works really well for me. That that's that seems incredibly healthy, Alec. Yeah. Um, sometimes those pairings seem a little more uh, in line with each other, like the week where I watched rewatched all of The Good Place and Shit's Creek, except for the last season of each, because neither of them's on Netflix yet. At that point, the division was, do I want the thing that imagines this utopian world? Or do I want the thing that recognizes how bad the world is <laughs> the and world talks about is. how to fix it? Yeah. 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 This is this is my quarantine tip to whomever like needs it. it. Yeah. I like it. Well, speaking of quarantine tips, let's spotlight yeah. some comics before we get into the main event. Sure. I have meant for the last two episodes to talk about a Kickstarter that is going on right now. Uh, If you are listening and you follow us on Twitter, you've seen me retweet this from both the show's account and my own. Uh, But it is Saladin Ahmed and Dave Acosta's Kickstarter for a book called Dragon. Uh, There should be at least a week left in the Kickstarter. It's already funded. Uh, It is about a disgraced uh, Muslim fighter and a Catholic priest, or sorry, a nun, who... Go fight Draculas. Okay. And by Draculas, I do mean vampires. Maybe actual Dracula. Uh, it's Saladin Ahmed. If it's Saladin Ahmed, I'm going to read it. That's how this works. Uh, it's already fully funded. They're not doing tons and tons of stretch goals, basically. The better it does, the better quality the final product will be in terms of like the paper they can print on what sort of you know does the cover get spot gloss that kind of thing and they're just going to sort right. of make those decisions on the fly uh but, um, it looks beautiful oh yeah it's absolutely gorgeous dave acosta's yeah. got a background in horror comics uh there's a process video that he put out about how he's he's not using traditional inked lines in any of his work for this he's He's working in, I guess it's paint. I do not know a lot about, like, the actual technique of drawing, because it's not a skill I have ever had any success in cultivating. Mm-hmm. But there's a really cool process video of him, like, putting his roughs on paper and then drawing the comic without traditional pencils and inks. It's really cool to watch. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for it. Right now, there are no plans to release this in any other way. That may change, but I think even if it does, like this is going to be a big, oversized hardcover that I don't think this version of it will get released any other way. Yeah, right now it's $39 to back it. Yeah. Which is not bad for our big hardcover. Yeah. And in the FAQs, he talks about shipping costs. They seem pretty standard. The U.S. Yeah. is like seven, eight bucks maybe. Anywhere else in the world's a little more, but... Uh, it's a pretty straightforward Kickstarter, and actually, I kind of find that refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Chew number Mm -hmm. one. This is C-H-U. Uh, this is about Saffron Chew. Uh, this is by John Lehman and Dan Boltwood. Uh, Saffron Chew is the sister of Tony Chew, who was the star of the 60-issue Chew C-H-E-W series. Uh, and this is, this arc is sort of a prequel to that. Tony is still a beat cop. Um, his sister Saffron, whom this is about, is a thief. <laughs> and this first issue is a heist that she is like the, the 
she's not the leader, but she's the brains. She's the researcher, the strategist. Gotcha. Um, for and it goes very wrong when both people on her team and on the target start getting sick and like puking their brains out. Oops. Yeah, and it's a world where like everyone's powers are food based, so that's even more of a problem, right? Uh, and the issue ends with like her going to weekly family dinner with her brother Tony, who's assigned to the case. Oh, of course. I love it. Yeah. Um, the way Chu is going to work is rather than being one ongoing, it's set up to be five issue miniseries whenever John Lehman has time and has collaborators who have time. Uh, and so far, like, this is a really fun first entry into it. Good. Yeah. Uh, I love Chu, so I am always here for more of it. And I am sad that, that Lehman's other book, um, Outer Darkness got cancelled so go read this book so we get more <laughs> alright on to the main event yes this week we are talking about The Umbrella Academy volumes 1 through 3 story is by Gerard Way art is by Gabriel Ba colors are by Dave Stewart for the first two arcs and Nick Filardi for the third and letters are by Nate Piekos. Yeah, I'm very glad you mentioned the colorist because that is a huge part of this. Yeah. Is this... Have you read Umbrella Academy before? Not before this. Cool. Uh, I had read volumes one and two way back when. Probably, I don't know, 2014-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, well before the TV show, but well after they originally came out. Uh, this is my first time reading the third volume, which was only collected... Late last year, early this year, time has no meaning. Yeah, I think I think twenty nineteen, I think they said. Yeah. Uh I love this series. Which the next volume is not I mean, I know the next volume isn't, but like even the floppy, like the next story arc has not come out yet, right? Right. Uh there is a there is a Christmas one-shot that came out recently called Hazel and Cha-Cha Save Christmas. I say recently, it was like last December. Again, time, yeah. no meaning. Sure. Um, there is currently being solicited a, what feels, what, what sounds like an anthology miniseries. Right. But I don't think it is the main story's next chapter. I think it's sort of filling in gaps around a couple of characters. Gotcha. Uh, like, it may even be following a specific character. It may be, like, Ben. Um, I have yeah, honestly that's... not read the solicitation, because this is, as much as I love this book, not something I would enjoy reading month after month. month I need it month. all at once. Yes, I agree. Uh, that, I, that I 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the storytelling is great, but it is so specific and relies on callbacks that it does not make a meal out of. Right. That it's way easier to see how everything connects for me personally mm -hmm. if I read it in a single chunk. Yep. Like, I do not think if I had sat down to read, if I had not sat down to read the whole thing together, that I would have recognized the squid in the third arc as the squid from the first page of volume one. <laughs> yes. The one that gets the atomic elbow. Yes. Um, the other thing that I think, 
and, and this was just maybe this is me kind of coming to it so late and you know having already seen the tv show and everything i actually really really enjoyed reading the introductions that were in the front of the trades yeah yeah uh like the first one's by grant morrison right yeah there are grant morrison neil gaiman and jeff lemire jeff lemire right yes like all people that i totally respect and like you know I'm interested to hear their opinion, right? Yeah. And, like, just their differences and how they, like, everything. Like, their attitude toward it, their approach to writing the introduction of it. Like, everything is unique to them, and it's 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 just really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also like that these are all, these collections are all very generous with back matter and concept yep. art and... Like, there have been a lot of short backup-style stories that have been released in other places, and those yeah. all get collected in here as well. Yeah, like their free comic book day that, like, kind of launched everything, right? Right. Was, yeah. Isn't, Which is yeah. cool to see, because, like, some of, the, some of the ideas from the main series aren't totally fleshed out in it either. So right. it becomes this cool process snapshot. Yeah. Yeah. So... Let me ask you this question too on the okay. in the vein of coming to this now. How much did the TV show set your expectations for the storytelling in this and how different did you feel it was? Cuz I know going the other direction, mm-hmm. even rereading it, I'm surprised at how how much faster paced this is and how much less time it spends especially early on drilling into individual characters so i will be on part of it is i have seen enough comic adaptations that i am very realistic in understanding that they can be very very different things right yeah so i tend to not try to not have expectations right so that being said however <laughs> <laughs> because trying not to and actually not are not necessarily the same thing um yeah <clears throat> i was surprised at how kind of and i and i i guess i'll use the word like minimalist this feels in comparison to the show i think that's and a good exact, word for it yeah like they just they they say something and they just move on they just keep like it just never stops going forward right is one part of that. The other part is that there is a lot of characters. I don't want to say a lot of characters. There are all the characters that are here get so much more time and development in the show than they do in here. Right. Specifically, I mean, the perfect example of that is Hazel and Cha-Cha. Absolutely. they're, They're probably, you know, three or four pages in this and they're super one-dimensional yeah they're basically time traveling sadists the end yeah time traveling sadists with a sweet tooth correct right with a sweet tooth and in the show i mean they are they are almost equal to the family characters as far as how much time they get and their development and they're wonderful in the show yeah yeah so that I, I would say that's the only thing that that surprised me a little bit was like the pacing and how much you got of different things. 
yeah the 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 story beats the way they chose to change them right and and present different things that doesn't surprise me as much that that really wasn't a shock yeah i think that's because obviously i went in the other direction and the Mm -hmm. show was being developed before hotel oblivion was at least finished releasing right uh the third arc and it had been long enough since I reread it when I watched the show that, like, the beats felt familiar, but I could not have told you what the sequence from the comics was. Right. Uh, it certainly was obvious how much more time, especially early on, we were taking with each character. And I think the, sh- the character who the show adds the most for is uh, Seance. Oh, uh, Klaus. Klaus. Yeah. Like, if you want to talk about yeah. Beat for beat the biggest changes and I think the most improvement. Klaus yeah. is really really I think a star of the show, which is it's an ensemble piece, but he gets more time in the show in a way that in this like he's kind of a punchline most of the time. He yeah, he definitely is. Um well and and so that goes across the board. Obviously if you're not going to give each character as much time right you're not going to get the development you're not going to get the depth that you do yeah if you give them time sure um and i i've been asked probably at least four or five times since this so i'm in the middle of rewatching the first season mm-hmm. because my daughter hadn't seen it and one i wanted to rewatch it before season 2 came out and two she hadn't seen it so i'm watching it with her um and you know, I, she asked me, and a lot of people asked. So, how does it compare to the comic? Like, do you still like it? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential problems with adaptations, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I can 100% say I absolutely love the show. There is nothing they decided to change in the show that I think like takes away from the story. There's a few things that are like actually actually different right yeah but for the most part all the changes they make are purely additive to the character yeah i think the biggest differences and maybe this is a weird way to to track this conversation but at some point i i feel like this is kind of like doom patrol in fact doom patrols may be a good touchstone in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in that trying to talk about this beat for beat is going to be like describing a bad dream Right, yeah, no, Um, I 100% agree. But also because I think this is, and here's where I think the Doom Patrol comparison becomes sort of contrast. We talked about Doom Patrol and it being adapted and it feeling so much like the Grant Morrison comics, but a little more contemporary. This, I think, almost does the opposite, where the, the show is way less weird and way more grounded, and it feels more like a remix or a reimagining in a lot of ways, of the comics. In, in, and I think that's true in terms of some of, the, some of the beats that feel like they have the most gravity early on in the comics, like Vanya's storyline. Right. Vanya gets sort of brought into this, in the comics, brought into this musical death cult, and is basically like, yeah, fuck my family, they're assholes, I'll help you destroy the world. Right. Uh, like, whereas, like she, she kind of has much more agency in the comic than she does, and knows what she's getting into. 
And it's just, it's less fantastical. Like, it's less... I think if if we got this version of her on on screen, she would feel rushed. She would feel like she had, like she came out of the blue. Whereas in comics, it's like, you get that there's so much history that she's been excluded from. Right. Um, well, and, it's, and it knows it's different mediums. It, it does, and a part of that I think also works with the pacing that we talked about earlier. Right. The fact that you get that this is moving so fast and skipping, kind of glossing through so much that when that happens in the comic, you're like, okay, yeah, obviously there's all of this that they didn't explicitly show us that has happened that causes it. And it, so your buy-in is easier in this pacing. Yes. Yeah. Um, we also don't see anywhere near as much of like the umbrella Academy rogues gallery in the TV show. It's less that, about yeah. less about maybe what they've done in the past, less about uh, those specifics, which will be, it'll be interesting to see if they try to do right. hotel oblivion eventually how that plays out. Yeah, I which I have not I've purposefully not read or watched anything in regard to season 2 because I want to go into it completely fresh. Yeah, I So I do not know what it covers. I've seen one trailer. Okay. Um which doesn't actually tell me a whole lot more than what I would have already assumed about it, just knowing what the second arc of the comics is mm-hmm. and remembering how the first season ends. Okay. Um, but I don't think it's going to look anything like the second arc of the comics either, because so much of that is number five's history, which is a lot of season one already. Right. It makes, and that's kind of why I'm I'm really curious if they basically tell volumes two and three in season two. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And if so, once you get to Hotel Oblivion, you definitely have to get more into their rogues yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think we're going to get something like Dexter, where the first season of Dexter is basically the first book, and subsequent seasons and subsequent Dexter books are just completely different. They have nothing at all to do with each other. Could be. I think we're going to hit a certain point in this, and the, the show will look less like the comics, and vice versa. Well, there's a, it's it's funny now having read the specifically having read Hotel Oblivion, right? Yeah. And where it ends. Right. There's like there's a couple of things in the show that I picked up on rewatching it now that make me think they're probably going to explore that. Now that's true, and I think there's probably a lot yeah. of ground for the TV show to cover in that. But I bet it ends up looking very different from what the comics version of it looks like. I bet it does, too. I bet it does, too. Um, So here, and here's the good news, is I know for a fact that Gerard Way and Gabrielle Ba are involved with the show. Yes. So, like, my guess is he's going to say, well, these are my ideas about it, but, like, and that's it. And that, I'll be honest, that kind of the whole show, that's kind of the feeling, is this is the spirit and the the outline of what happens recreate it and tell it in your own way yeah right and that works yeah like i always think a good adaptation is more along those lines sort of this is a spiritual successor retelling of than trying to recreate absolutely yeah here's the hard part about that though is yeah you still have to get it right Mm -hmm. 
because I, there's so many adaptations, and I can think of one specific. I will not name it because you know I don't want to talk about things I don't like. But there was one that like I it was so bad to me that I had to stop watching. I did not even finish it, and that is. I, I cannot tell you how rare that is for me. Yeah. Um, like I will watch really, really bad stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, it, once I started, I just, I want to finish. Right. Yeah. Um, but wait, are you saying you're a completionist, Brian? Oh my God. Uh, um, yeah. So, but like, I, I couldn't watch it and it was like the changes they chose to make fundamentally changed the feeling of what they were trying to capture. Yeah. And that's where it breaks, right? Yeah, like my go-to example, and I will name it because it's been 20 years and the rest of the world has disagreed with me this whole time and is welcome to continue to. I don't love the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Oh, yeah, okay. And the reason they've never really worked for me is I don't think they get the relationship between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. That's not unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there are things about them that are fantastic. I love Alfred Molina in number two. But to me, for me personally, like, Spider-Man is the most effective when he's not like Batman or Superman, just a straight-up alternate personality. But when he's sort of a synthesis of who is Peter and what are these superpowers, where do they overlap? And, like, you don't get the sort of of scientific acumen joking as part of being Spider-Man. That's just Peter's life. Right. Um, And they feel that disconnect doesn't work for me. I'm not saying they're bad movies. Right, I know what you're saying. But, like... You're just saying, yeah, that spirit and that presentation of him is not what you think of for Spider-Man. Right, and, like, that's... That's where an adaptation can lose me. It's like, yeah. I don't care if you hit beat for beat the same thing. In fact, I really don't want you to. I'd like you to be right. unpredictable. But if it doesn't feel like it's the thing I walked in for, that's when it's less effective. So I can give you another example, and this has actually been out long enough that I don't, I don't mind naming it. And that was um, uh, The Lightning Thief, which is Percy Jackson. Um, I really, really enjoyed the books. I thought they did a, a great job of, of presenting that material. Uh, you know, telling a, a fun story with cool and engaging characters. When they made the movie, they chose to age the characters. So in the in the books, they're like twelve, turning yeah. thirteen. Uh, and in the movies, they made them essentially like seventeen. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah, and like it, and like you know, there was this. So there's this big, huge disconnect. And it feels completely different in, like, you don't buy them doing some of the things that they do or, like, they completely change the choices that they would make because they're completely different people at 16, 17 than they are at 12, 13. Right. Yeah, so it doesn't feel like the same book or story. Not to mention that I won't. I mean, there's other changes that they made where they leave whole sections out or change things that, sure. that don't make sense to change, right? And and that's that's why I say it, it's so it, it's a little bit odd to me. To I'm I'm a big believer. If you pay money for an IP for a property, why do you change it from what you're paying for, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think I think at is, some level you get. 
Right. You get two kinds of, of projects like this, right? You get the projects that are executed by people who get the property. Yeah, And you that's get fair. the projects that yeah. are probably an executive saying, hey, we need our studio's answer to Harry Potter. What property is like that that we can shoehorn into being what we understand Harry Potter to be? That's that's probably a very accurate statement. I would imagine a lot of these come down to what the goal they're trying to accomplish with it is, like yeah. from a business marketing standpoint, not from an artistic standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's all that is to say, like, I remember being terrified, like super excited for Umbrella Academy when it was announced for Netflix. Right. Mm-hmm. But also terrified because I did not know. I did not know how likely it was that they would actually pull it off, and I, I was so pleasantly surprised when they did. That's what's so. Uh, that's what's kind of so surprising to me is that they were able to change as much as they did, and yet I still like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's and like, because it, it's because they captured what kind of is Umbrella Academy, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And like like you said earlier, they had Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba involved. Yep. And Gerard Way has a long standing love of and interest in working on comics. Right. Um I remember reading somewhere an interview with him about he was an intern at Marvel in the late nineties, early two thousands. And said in this interview that had had September 11th never happened and had he not had all this sort of existential anxiety and stress that he had to work through because of it you know, living in New York through it uh, and just sort of what it meant in terms of, of bigger social ramifications right he probably would have stayed in comics and never gone to music Huh. Uh, and like we've seen him write Doom Patrol since this. He has another creator-owned book that is uh, that is a continuation of a My Chemical Romance concept album called The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, which incidentally just had another volume of the comic announced. Very good. Um, like it's definitely something that he has been passionate about a long time and has been a fan of a long time. And I think that's also a part of it that you have someone with that voice in the room. Who's also famous enough to be able to throw weight around if he needs to. Yeah. Like I, I can totally see the idea of, you know, them coming and say, okay, like we want to do this with the character and him going, yeah, that feels right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to, um, no, this character would never, ever do that. <laughs> and a lot of the beats that show up in the first season, we see, like, snapshots of in volumes two and three. Like, yep. the romance between uh, number one and number two. Yeah. Um, I think I think Allison is number two. But It is, yeah. yeah. No, no, Allison's number three. Number okay, two between, is Diego. Yeah. Uh, or, like, Seance going back in time is kind of in Volume 2, but in a very different way. Yeah, well, and, like, in the comic, it's not just him. Right. Yeah, which is a very, very different and take it's, on it. it's a different war, so, like, maybe, maybe we still see some version of the going back. Could be, back. could be, yeah. Um, I think it's a different war. 
Uh, yes. Uh, Should be. Um, I got another example ready to go there, too. Uh, but these these kinds of things that end up being whole character arcs are, are still excised from the comics. They're not made up in that right. way. They're just fleshed out. Yeah, and that's kind of what I meant when I started when we started this, and I said everything seemed to be additive to the characters and and their stories. It didn't feel like it took anything away or changed anything fundamental to them. Yeah. Now yeah. I want to talk about what is probably the biggest difference, and is maybe like maybe the reason why these two things have to feel as different as they do. Why the comic can feel like this more fantastical thing when the show is more character driven and emotionally grounded. Right. And that's the art style. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I really truly think that if they wanted to make a TV show that felt exactly like the comic, it would have to be a cartoon. It would have to be animated. 100%. Um, and I think it's, it's not going to play with the same level of zaniness seeing humans on a screen doing exactly what the comic does beat for beat. And I think this is this is maybe why so much each of them can stand alone. Yeah. Because the comic, by virtue of having Gabriel Ba on art, just has this completely different visual language. It's almost like they're trying to accomplish different things. Yeah. Right? The, the the show is obviously trying to generate this identity with the characters and, you know, a much more dramatic and kind of serious tone to it, right? Yeah. It's, tr- it's trying to pull you in and make you feel for these characters. And it does a great – part of doing that is you have to spend enough time with the characters to care about them. Right. So that's one of the reasons I'm sure that they flush them out more, right? Um, whereas in the comic – there's really no there's no actual like direct effort to try to make you care about these characters if that makes sense right you do no, that, that does. because you're reading about them but not in the same way that the show is doing yeah i think and i think that changes over time across these sure. three arcs right because yeah in the first arc i think what the show what the comic is inviting you in for as a reader is the strangeness of the world. Oh, yeah. here was the other example. Hargreaves is a space alien. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big change there. Um, like, it's immediately weird. The first, the first page of this is a professional wrestler pile-driving a space squid, and then it's like, meanwhile, on the same day. Right. As though there's absolutely no connection. Now, in 3, we learn, hey, maybe there's some connection and all of this is related. Maybe a little bit. But the strangeness is the selling point in Volume 1. Right. Whereas I think after 1, you have so much fallout. And after 2, I think in a way you have even more. But you start to see the characters coming together in pairs. And you start to see these relationships that, while Hargreaves was alive, never existed because they weren't important to him. Right. Begin to form. And watching these stunted adults try to navigate that, um, like it becomes, I think, a little bit more about that progressively as it goes on. And maybe even more so in Volume 3. 
um, which is a lot unlike the other two because of how almost disconnected it feels from itself. Like, each sort of pair of characters going through this kind of feels like they're doing their own thing um, right up until the end. And I think that's kind of showing... Like, I think that's by design to sort of bring everyone together again, right? Because they're brought together by chance at the beginning. Right. Or by circumstance. And now kind of like they're realizing they have to. They have to work together. They have to do these things. Um, Like, I think what the comic is also changes over time in a way that a TV show can't do. I would not disagree with you there. Yeah. Um... I think it's very, very appropriate that Grant Morrison writes the intro to the first book. Yes. Because it is clearly heavily inspired by Doom Patrol. Oh, yeah. Just in the 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 oddness of it is a good way to put it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the sort of cast of losers and misfits thrown together to solve weird problems. Yeah. Uh, and Gerard Way made no secret of being, like, a huge Doom Patrol fan. And oh, yeah, yeah. being heavily inspired by that. Right. Again, he wound up writing Doom Patrol. Yeah, well, and I, but I was specifically saying that to the point of you talking about how that first volume felt that way. Yeah. And then it kind of moved on from that. I think a big part of that is Gerard Way also figuring out kind of who these characters are as he's writing. and going through the story, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and like the orchestra in volume one is very much, that feels like a a group that could exist in a Doom Patrol. Yeah. I mean, right. it's very like Brotherhood of Dada. Right. In, right. in a lot yeah. of ways. Yep. Uh, the, other, the other kind of comparison that entered in my head was the Eiffel Tower making me think of the Eiffel Tower in Curse Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um... Or at the beginning of the second arc. Like, I love, I love there's this moment at the beginning of the second arc where after one opens with the Umbrella Academy as kids fighting uh, the Eiffel Tower, which is a robot spaceship, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of arc two, they're fighting uh, Abraham Lincoln, who has gotten up off of uh, uh, Mount Rushmore and is terrorizing people and there's just the throw and i'm like didn't we didn't we already fight a monument and it's just like that kind of weird self or self-referential thing also yep. feels like a part of that that doom patrol connection uh in the back matter in the the third volume uh there's there are a lot of pages of character designs for all these sort of like random villains and side characters who I think Gabriel Ba's notes are uh, on each of these. And they're like, yeah, Gerard created a lot of these characters and I love them and they could be their own whole stories. So I decided to do variant covers for each of them and things like that. <laughs> um, but like they could, they feel wholly fleshed out in in a way that like, can you imagine film or TV developing a character who is in the background shot of a panel and never coming back to that character, or waiting for years and years and years to use them again. Like uh, I, I, I can imagine that. <laughs> it's I think it's super rare, but um, you know, 
I'll, I can actually think of one example, and that is, you know, in Star Wars, Boba Fett. Sure. I mean, he had a super, super small role in the movies, but the concept of the character was so cool that people wanted more. And so... That's fair. Yeah, yeah. So but, it, I think it does it is, happen. It is a rarity. It is, it is incredibly rare that that happens. I will agree yeah. with that. And it's like, uh, what is his name? The Magician in Volume 3. Uh, oh, uh, something Magician. Uh, Murder Magician? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Like, we see him briefly in a flashback in an issue in the first volume. Uh, I think it was the first volume. Or maybe it was even one of the side stories. I think one it's, of the, si- it's one of the side stories. Yeah. yeah. Um... Because it's the one about Allison telling a lie about herself. Yeah, yeah about she'd lied yeah. about being at school studying or at the library studying. So a yep. second Allison appeared, and he was bragging about having killed her. And it turned out he had killed this doppelganger she had created by lying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It was a side story, not even in in the main book. And like, there's this moment where he's apologizing to her after all these years and being in Hotel Oblivion and her helping him save his son. And, like, there's so much history in just, I don't know, three pages altogether? Which which goes back to that pacing in the comic, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, like, you have... It's another reason I think that this is so much better in trade, because you have to try and keep up which is probably really hard to do if, certainly if you're reading as many comics as we do, yeah. right? I want to I mean, see if, the if series you're only reading Bible. A, if you're, yeah, if you're only reading two or three, then, you know, maybe keeping up with it's not as difficult, but, yeah, like, I would have a lot of trouble keeping up with this in a floppy format with as much other stuff as we read, yeah. Well, and I mean, even on top of that, like, the infrequency with which these come out, well, that too, yeah. That's like, a different the first two volumes were 2007 and 2008. It was ten years between volume two and volume three. Right. And as far as we know, there's no word on when the next one will happen. I think it'll probably happen after this this anthology series. I like, think I think probably right. I think now that it's a TV show, we're going to yep. get more focus on it from Dark Horse. Yes, I think Dark Horse is, is like, yeah, can can we please finish this now because like they're gonna sell well now yeah. <laughs> yeah um but i would love to see like a show bible for this because i also feel like especially after reading the third volume i really feel like this is being written with an end in mind like i oh, think I... this has got to be five or six arcs and uh, um how wait I don't remember it, it maybe it was in a back matter piece somewhere or something that I read may or maybe it was in one of the forewords that somebody talking to him said that he had an idea that this was like yeah he has an idea that this is like six arcs or something like that yeah. like so I think he knows ultimately where this is going and has like probably the major beat for each you know so like for the first one it's you know the 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 orchestra, right? Yeah. The the, the apocalypse suite. Uh, the apocalypse suite. For the second one, it's obviously Dallas. For the third one, it was Hotel Oblivion. My Which, by the... the way, very convenient when naming uh naming arcs. If right. you just know, hey, here's the big beat for this one. This is what that book's called. 
Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I don't know if we're spoiling kind of what happens at the end of volume three. Um, yes, no. Uh, I do want to talk about it. We are like 40 minutes in at this point, maybe a little less once I edit together uh, and edit down because we've yeah. been having some technical difficulties in this one and uh, have this split across a, couple, across a couple of tracks now. Yeah. But uh, I think it's fair at this point to say, I mean, okay, one. If you've been listening to this point without having read any of this or watched the TV show, oh my god, I am so sorry, this is probably indecipherable. Yeah, and like, why aren't you? Because they're both really, really good in very different ways. To be fair, we do usually go through the thing beat by beat, so like, I get yeah, the, I get yeah, why he, someone might have uh, assumed I, that would be the case here. I, I do agree, we can't do that with this one, yeah. though. It's just too... It's non-linear. Yeah. It's so non-linear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In some cases, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the second thing is, like, if you're just watching the show, maybe, and you found this. Yep. I don't know that there's any guarantee that the show does this anytime soon, but I think at some point it has to, like you said earlier. Yeah. Um. So we're going to call spoilers at this point. Um, yeah. Or potential spoilers, I guess, maybe? Yeah, well, I want to talk about a couple yeah. of things in the third arc, specifically. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's and good. And then I want to talk about this ending, so... Okay. Definitely, if you're coming to this from the TV show, we're going to cover some ground that is not covered there yet. Yeah. So, now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, you know, I can easily see, like, the next volume of this being called something like Team 2. Yeah. <laughs> right or you know something the red like team? the red, red umbrella right, ex right exactly um but the point being that get, getting back to what we were talking about that i think he has those those you know those two word concepts for what each of these are and where it's ultimately going yeah 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 we we see at the end of i love that you called spoilers and then didn't actually spoil it we see at the end of the third arc. I mean, the fact that it's called Team 2 kind of gives it away, doesn't it? A second group of six, and these are all in red, six similar heroes of the same age. Yeah. Uh, and we meet their leader, number one. So either Hargreaves or someone, it's a very Hargreaves move, though. It's a super Hargreaves move. Yeah. has had this other cell of the Umbrella Academy somewhere else hidden away. Training and doing whatever, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, there's a whole second team. Right. Which, you know, here's the... It, it, there's, no reason, there's no reason to think otherwise when it's the beginning and they say, you know, there were 43 kids born at the same time, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, and he got seven of them, right? There's no reason to doubt what that that, but now having known this, there's also every reason to think. Well, duh, of course he got more than seven of them, or he was working with someone else and he got seven, but someone else sure. got another seven. Right, right. Yeah, that more than seven of them survived. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in the third volume is how, like, weirdly drawn from and clearly parodying Watchmen characters 
some of these ancillary designs are in ways that I don't I don't know what it means or where it's going, but I love um like I am a big fan of anything that wants to be in conversation with Watchmen and is a little more contemporary and is not trying to just be Watchmen 2. Right. Um and there's, you know, the like we said the first panel is Space Squid and the first thing I did honestly uh rereading this was Google Rigel 6 Space Squid or whatever to see if Watchmen said where the squid and it was from. Mm-hmm. Um but then in Hotel Oblivion we have Science Man right who is yes. an energy-based borderline omniscient omnipotent superhero who speaks in blue and white text balloons right uh who ends up fighting Perseus 10 who winds up being a mythology-based billionaire yep. who thinks he's smarter than everyone <laughs> and like this is sort of the background chaos that not even is what the Umbrella Academy is directly dealing with. It just sort of happens around them because their father was a manipulative jerk and stored supervillains in a pocket dimension. In in Hotel Oblivion, which is yeah. a a hotel in a pocket dimension. Yeah. I gotta say, by the way, I love the concept of Hotel Oblivion. Like oh, yeah. Hotel California meets the Phantom Zone. Meets, like, the raft. Yeah. Yeah. I am yeah. so, so here for it. Uh, But, yeah, like, just the weird... And then um, this a-, a Space Squid shows up again in the pocket dimension that was some sort of trap for it. Like, it's so, so clearly drawing from these things. And, again, it doesn't make a meal out of any... I love how fast, how quickly this book moves from everything. And and this is where I think the benefit of that comes in, right? Is you can have these characters that are clearly references to things. Yeah. And the fact that you're moving so pa- so fast and so quickly past them, they don't feel like you're trying to copy something. They right. feel like you're just giving an homage to, right? Well, and this is what you mentioned, like, Grant Morrison's kind of the perfect per- person to write the preface for Volume 1. Jeff Lemire's kind of the perfect person to write the preface <laughs> for Volume 3, because holy pastiche, Batman. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right? You get the whole Black Hammer kind of feel. To yeah. Some, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm waiting for the Black Hammer... Actually, a Black Hammer Umbrella Academy oh, crossover oh would be good for so many reasons yeah it would but especially in a post doomsday clock world <laughs> yes <laughs> like having yeah. black hammer's characters meet the meet science man and perseus tin yes yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm totally down for this you've got at least one person that's gonna buy it i can tell you that i mean two you and me yeah. both oh man that would be so good yeah um, well, I think this has been appropriately non-sequitur and disjointed. I love Hopefully it. Yeah. also good. Anything else you want to add before we move on? Um, I, I don't think there's anything that we need to. I mean, we've talked about, uh, I, I mentioned it super early when you were talking about the credits. One of the things I do want to call out in the comics is the coloring. Yes. Um, it, it, it may, it is part of what makes the comic feel the way it does. Yeah. It like, is the, yeah. Dave Stewart is 
like a a master. Dave Stewart is a top tier colorist. Yep. Nick Filardi does not get enough attention, I think. Um he's been on some creator owned books and like all of the Elsa Chardier prints I own, I think he colored. Mm-hmm. Um if not all then most. Uh but like he does a good job of playing in the same kind of palettes as Dave Stewart, but man does he get lighting. Yeah. Um, there's some, like, cool Kirby Crackle type stuff in Volume 3 that I think he's really well suited for. Um, like, pages that just glow. I'm looking through Volume 3 right now. Like, art-wise and color-wise, the more you say it, the more I... This really does kind of have that same Black Hammer feel from an artistic standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure Dave Stewart colors Black Hammer too. Does he? Okay. I'm gonna double not, check that here real I quick. couldn't I, I couldn't remember and I didn't want to say it if if he didn't. But like it I'm, would not surprise me because yeah, there's a lot of the yeah, same. He does. Okay. Well, that and I was I was pretty sense. sure because I associate Dave Stewart with Hellboy, like first. Gotcha, yeah. Um, And I remember thinking, and I think talking about, when we talked about Black Hammer, that sort of Hellboy vibe that his colors gave it. Yeah, yeah. But it it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, so that being said, if you come to this from the TV show, understand that the comic is, kind of like we said, trying to accomplish a slightly different thing. It's more fantastical. It's, It's in some ways zanier. Right. Um, and it's definitely way, way, way more fast paced. Yeah. Super good. If you, the opposite way, if you are a fan of the comic and have not yet seen the TV show, I also highly recommend that you watch the TV show because although it is different, it is, in my opinion, still 100% Umbrella Academy and captures what it has to, to make it feel that way. And then changes, in a lot of ways, a lot of everything else to make it fit television better. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm I'm now a huge fan of both of these. Excellent. Yeah. There you go. Now, it is time for the Long Box Book Report. (sighs) The Long Box Book Report. Fuck you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, we made a little wager last week. I don't know if it was a wager. It was... It was for bragging rights, if nothing else. Sure, fair. I called a shot. Would you prefer I make it about me? I was trying not to make it about Uh, me. Yeah, whatever. It didn't matter. It's Um, all good. Brian had chosen uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, Mm -hmm. and I argued, no way with the character he teams up with could we get away with that and it be anything bordering on not vaguely racist talking about Although it... Other than one major key thing that happened, um, it would have been okay. <laughs> so, uh, in an attempt not to put that on display, yeah, let's not. Um, as say, I said, we re- we always reserve that right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say just some wild appropriation of Native American heritage. <laughs> yep. At the same time, combined with really really shitty stereotypes. Uh, uh, Brian has pivoted to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons number 14. Yes, I have. So, um, 
Yeah, I, this this run of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, um, this was like a, a late '80s '90s thing, and it essentially what it did is it picked characters and followed them in a D and D setting, essentially, um, and you know that was it. In this particular issue, we have uh, three of our characters. Uh, uh, Vajra, who is a essentially a warrior, she's a, she was like the top gladiator for a gladiator slave of a like big bad guy. Uh, we have uh, Connor, um, who is uh, a th- the thief, essentially uh, more almost more of a con man than just a straight thief. Connor uh, the con man, exactly. Uh, and then we have uh, Salabak, who is uh, essentially their rogue, but uh, he develops like telepathic powers. He get he loses his the ability to speak, but gains like the ability to cast illusion. He's essentially an illusionist. That's what he gotcha. does. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and the three of them are in the process of trying to track down and free a were kitten. <laughs> And also then kind of uh, climb the ladder of bad guys to get to, like, the, the person that owned Vajra and, like, is the big, kind of the big bad guy of this, right? Um, and this is essentially kind of a con that they set up to uh, get into one of his minions' castles, to the, the minion that's actually holding the wear kit. And... Uh, the big thing that you learn from this is Connor and Vajra don't trust each other. Well, specifically, she doesn't trust him, you know, because he's a thief and has betrayed her once already. Good yeah. reason. You know, which, valid points, can't yeah. argue that, right? Um, and, you know, there's a there's a thing in here where she has to act as the kind of the Chewbacca in the in the Death Star thing, where she has to act as the prisoner that he's captured, and that's how they get in, right? And she's worried that he's going to betray her, and when it comes time for her to slip her bonds, they're tied too tightly, and she can't get out. So <laughs> did he betray her, or was it an accident that they were just tied too tight? <laughs> the world may never know. Uh, as an aside here, yeah. I, I read a piece of Star Wars trivia this week, speaking of infiltrating the Death Star. Uh-huh. Um, the scene where Han Solo rattles off over comms an ID number. As originally written, it was supposed to be Luke rattling it off. Okay. And he, uh, Mark Hamill was going to use this as an opportunity to immortalize his phone number. Oh my god. That's hilarious. Um, but because he wound up being nowhere near the, the right spot on set, they gave it to Harrison Ford, who then proceeded to steal the idea and use his own phone number. Um, until Mark Hamill uh, protested enough that Harrison Ford said fuck it and used Mark Hamill's phone number. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> and then gave him shit for complaining about it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um... So, and uh, honestly, that's pretty much this whole issue. Um, it was it was fine. It was nothing special. It was nothing 
amazing, but it was also not bad and anyway, so I'm not going to complain about it. Um, <laughs> one thing I do want to point out, though, that happens to be in the back of this, which is the... Um, I like this is 1990. Uh, this is uh, 80. I'm sorry, 89. Um, and it shocks me that in 89. It, I mean, I don't know why it would because, yeah, I, like I don't know how else they would have done it at that point. But in the back is a clip out coupon where you can write in and write a check and mail it off to DC for your 12-issue subscription directly from DC <laughs> for comic books. Um, you know, so, like, for you could get 12 issues of Action Comics for $9. <laughs> Not a bad deal. Right? Um, uh, you know, like, their premium titles, which was, like, New Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes, um, which were on the high high quality paper and like not newsprint anymore and all that were only $21 for 12 issues at that. Yeah. Like that was their highest tier, which kind of depressed me in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how does that compare to inflation? Yeah, I'm going to no, need, you, a, need an analysis wrong. of comic book prices versus inflation. <gasps> I can and, do a spreadsheet. <laughs> and, can I do a graph? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, A color coded line graph that gives me, Inflation, comic book cost. Um, let's go with some kind of average of what comic book creators are making, and then Ooh. also minimum wage. Oh, <laughs> I know which one loses out there. <laughs> that would be minimum wage, and probably yeah. also what comic book creators base based on the time. I was going to say, I, you know what? I said that, and then immediately thought, mm, but maybe comic book creators aren't making that much either. I don't know. Um. Yeah, I think artists are probably the most likely to be screwed by that. Uh, or maybe like colorists. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I think either either penciler or colorist. Yeah. Um or if you've got a separate anchor, someone it's it's going to be someone in art. Like I know I'll, I know pencilers I'll, get the highest page rates. Right. But colorists and letterers end up having to like deal with things getting behind and being the one to catch up. But like, I know a lot of colorists end up having to pay flatters out of their own pocket. Right. Well, and there's a reason that colorists do, you see the same colorists on so many books. Yeah. Cause they got to do a lot to pay them bills. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's why there although, are like 12 letterers. Right. Um, I will say from a, from an artist standpoint though, this was just before the the 90s big boom where artists did get a big bump and yeah. what i'm sure was their fees yeah because it was all about the art in the 90s yeah yeah the modern day equivalent to uh your cutout i think it was last week week before i had this poster slipped into my stack of books yeah the back side of which is and actually this is hella helpful a checklist week by week of everything that DC is putting out in August. Nice. S separated by comics, original graphic novels, collected editions, and box sets. Nice. Yeah, DC, uh, by the way... I wonder if they who... wanted me to check this off and send them back what I actually want. I should ask that. Those of you who don't know, we, I, I, we've mentioned before that DC is no longer using Diamond, right, as their right. distributor. Um, part of that means that obviously Diamond is now not producing a DC previews anymore. Yeah, 
<laughs> so DC is producing their own essentially previews thing called DC uh, DC, DC Connect. Connect. DC Connect. And it is digital only. There is no print copy of it. Um, but it is free. So there's several places you can go to find this. Um, According to, and this was the other panel of the other side of this, uh, was yeah. the flyer about that. According to this, that's dccomics.com slash connect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you can download that for free if you are yeah. at all interested. And essentially that is the solicitations book for DC for what's coming out yeah. in three months. Which we mentioned less to promote them and reward them for what is frankly Correct. a weird business decision. Less less so the distributing themselves and more moving to Tuesdays. I don't think that's I, the I, I think I know why they, they could have done. I, I think I know why they did it, but I don't know that I agree with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um but we mention it because if you are trying to figure out what to read and have noticed DC has disappeared from right diamonds listings this is where to go to find yep. it there you go that's exactly why yeah um i would not call them out except for the fact that if we're going to tell them where i'm going to call them out a little bit no yeah you're perfectly valid in that yeah it, it, it is just, definitely it creates more so much more work for comic shops it does it does I, it, here's the thing going with who they have as distributors i get from a pure business standpoint why because traditionally all media is released on tuesday books are released on tuesday video games are released on tuesday movies are released on tuesday like media is like all of the distributors for media are set up to do things on tuesday so from a pure like i said from a pure business standpoint i get why when they chose to go with these new distributors and stuff why that they kind of felt like they should do that that being said that doesn't mean that i agree with it and it's certainly inconvenient for comic collectors to have to deal with now two days of mm. releases i'm a little more concerned for the shops themselves but you well, are that, right yeah, about that. yeah yeah I, when i say comic collectors i include shops in that yeah yeah because um yeah that is fine we can move yeah. on we don't have to spend more time <laughs> fair enough so next week we are going to get back to weekly comics yeah We'll talk about some stuff from this past week and some stuff from this week as well. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and predict just a whole hell of a lot of Empire talk next week. So get caught up on that. Uh, in the meantime, a couple of things we are looking forward to this week. Uh, Wonder Woman number 759. Mariko Tamaki, who just won the Eisner for Best Writer takes over Wonder Woman with Mikkel Yanin, who is an amazing artist. Uh, if you read Tom King's Batman run, you read a lot of Mikkel Yanin. Yep. I am super excited for this, especially knowing that this first arc deals with Wonder Woman having to team up with, work with, protect Maxwell Lord. Yeah, the the fact that they're bringing back Maxwell Lord just, oh boy. <laughs> uh, how about Suicide Squad number seven? Um, so this is... Uh, this is Deadshot leaving and getting his daughter and is clearly the the story prelude to what we talked about a couple weeks ago. He lives happily ever after. <laughs> sure, okay. Um, so I'm very much looking at like I said, I'm I'm super enjoying this book. I think it's great right now. And um yeah, so I agree. Can't wait to read this one. 
Tom Taylor has some big DC announcement coming out this week, by the way. Oh, boy. Uh, and then finally, Brian and I are sharing custody of X-Factor number one. Yeah, I, I mean, all the all the mutant books right now are so good yeah. at Marvel. How can you not look forward to more? I can't not, in fact. There you go. All right, anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, no. No, I think, uh, I think that's it for this cool. week. Well, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit our website at panelologypodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. You can get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M. You can submit questions, comments, whatever to us at bit.ly slash panelologymailbag. Again, capital P, capital M. Uh, I promise not to nag about it every week, but I'm going to keep mentioning it for a while. We are on YouTube as well now. Uh, if you would rather consume us by way of YouTube, uh, we're going to keep putting new episodes up on there. And I will occasionally throw in old episodes too, as I have time to do so. Because uh, I have to reprocess all of them to do that one by one. Uh, but if you want to follow us there, subscribe, like things. It will help us out and help us be seen by more people. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. Go read comics and go watch Umbrella Academy.